everyone. Welcome to Authors on the Air, the Global Radio Network. I'm Allison Brennan, and I'm here today to interview Jennifer McMahon about her latest book that came out just last month called My Darling Girl. I, um, well, first, welcome so much. This is the first time I've been able to interview you here at Authors on the Air or any, any venue. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, so I apologize for my dark screen. I was I was telling um, our producer, I said, yeah, I moved my office and I don't have any overhead lighting anymore. So I apologize, but you're here to see Jennifer anyway. You're not here to see me. So <laughs> I will try to get this fixed before the next interview I do. Um, I uh, First of all, I, I do want to talk about the book because it was definitely not what I was expecting. And I've read some of your earlier books and I absolutely loved it because it was different and it was definitely, definitely tense and suspenseful, which is exactly what you're known for. And, but I do want to talk first a little bit more about your, your background, because you know, your background in writing and what you did and everything. I'm just going to tell one little story. So I met Jennifer at Thriller Fest years ago when we were both nominated for a Thriller Award and Jennifer won. <laughs> and we were sitting next to each other. Uh, so it's like, so then I said, I got to go read her books now because obviously if she won, she has to be good. <laughs> and so, and that's how I was introduced not only to her personally, but to her books. And I don't remember the title. I'm sorry, because I've read a couple of the books. What was the Thriller Award winner? Um, the one I left behind. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it was like, okay, now I know why she won. That definitely worth it. Um, so I started following her on Instagram and Jennifer is a plotter and it's people who know me and this stuff know that I am not. And her posts terrify me almost as much as her books because she's so organized. <laughs> so I have to jump in because I don't consider myself a plotter. I am a total pantser. I start Ooh. off as a pantser, and then when I do my revisions, I become a plotter. So I'm a and little- And that's where you come up with all these index cards yes, and these color coding, and you have all these notes. Well, maybe you're <laughs> just a really I, good photographer. Yeah, when I'm doing the um, the first draft, I'm totally doing what you're doing, and I am pantsing all the way. I have no idea what's going to happen from one scene to the next. And then when I'm doing my revisions, because I have such a mess, I have to do something to kind of create some uh, some kind of structure out of all that chaos. <laughs> well, you whatever you're doing, don't change it because it's working. But seriously, follow, it's, what's your Instagram handle again? Because I really love the way you kind of capture your writing life environment and how you incorporate the two um, oh. in your photographs. I mean, they're just really... Yeah. Really, I'm an awful photographer, even on Instagram, which has all those tools that you can make yourself look good. I, I just can't. Um, my daughter is great. You know, she's like, does a fabulous job, but I love your Instagram page. So I think anyone, reader or writer, should definitely go just to follow because it's so attractive. I mean, every picture is just, I don't know, it's very inspiring. So I just want oh, to so share your Instagram handle so people can go and yeah, it's immediately um, follow you and writes. Just Jennifer McMahon writes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I, I try to keep up with it. I, you know, I have the best intentions with social media. I'm like, oh, I should do more posts. And it's always fun when I do. And I find Instagram far less intimidating than other things because it's it's pretty easy for me to take a picture and throw it up there. And I think I'm more and of a visual, visual kind of person. Yeah. yeah. 
hence the note cards and the like putting my entire book on the floor and treating it like a big collage and doing my little inspiration boards and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I have a little notebook for every one of my books that I take notes as I'm writing so I don't forget people's names or what they're supposed to be doing. So because there's been times where I've finished a book and I'm like, wait, oh, wait a minute. As I'm like rereading, I was like, what happened to that guy? He went off to investigate this other thread, which wasn't important to the story. And I completely forgot him. At least oh, I yeah. resolved that somehow. Yeah, I've totally <laughs> done that too. That's that's why I've got my color-coded <laughs> index cards, a color for each character. Like, what happens to Jack? Oh no, he's gone. <laughs> no, well, and I, you can see from your office, your beautiful office behind you that you're also organized in your your work environment it's very pretty uh, the part that's showing right now is pretty my desk itself if you could see that it's a it's a hot mess right now <laughs> oh yeah my desk is messy too we don't talk no, it's about okay that, but... it's okay it's creativity <laughs> is messy allison creativity is messy and yeah i've i i absolutely believe that i don't know i had this quote i've always been kind of a a little bit of a slob and i always said a messy desk is a sign of genius I think you are absolutely right. I totally agree. I'm always I'm always suspicious of those people with a completely neat, orderly desk. It's like, how are they get? Are they really working? Do they just fix that up and make it look like that for the camera? I don't know. Maybe some people are naturally neat and work well in a very pristine environment. I don't know. Not me. I need chaos. Yeah, I have like ten water bottles stacked on the side of my desk because from yesterday I have to throw them out. Um, so. When did you actually get started writing? Why don't you give us a little bit of your background? I know readers love to know, well, how did you get started? What was the inspiration? When did your first book get published? Sure. I'll start by going way, way back. Um, I wrote my first short story in third grade. It was about a haunted meatball. Um, in some ways, my writing kind of hasn't changed all that much. And the thing that I was just hooked. It was magic, right? It was the first thing I'd ever done in my life where I got completely lost and I lost track of time. And I realized that I could create this world where I could make anything happen, including a glowing green meatball that chased a boy and terrible things happened. And it was wonderful that I could do this. And I brought it back to my teacher and she said, oh, you know, this is a good story. You should write more. And then I wrote a story about a mud monster and about a boy who found a body trapped in the wall behind his bedroom. And I've pretty much been writing ever since, and I've always been sort of drawn to the creepy side. Um, in college and grad school, I studied poetry, and I thought I was going to be a poet, and I had some poems published. And, and then my poems were very sort of confessional, and they're all about me, 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 and my poor life, and my sad-ended love affairs, and it just got exhausting writing all about me. <laughs> So I started turning more to fiction in my poetry. I started telling stories in my poems and they got longer and longer. And then suddenly I had this prose poem that turned into what I thought was a short story, but then it kept growing and growing and growing. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm writing a short story. Oh my God, this isn't a short story. This is a novel. What do I know about writing a novel? I've been studying poetry for six years. I know nothing about this. Um, so I took a break from grad school from my poetry program to explore the novel writing thing and to try to teach myself how to write a novel. And it turns out that like you can do poetry and you can do simile and metaphor and I could write very descriptively, but in fiction, you have to make things happen. <laughs> um, so that was very much a, a learn by doing thing for me. Um, so my first published novel, Promise Not to Tell, was the fourth novel I wrote. And it took me four, no four novels, seven years and two agents to finally get published. And I tell people it is all about perseverance and just sticking with it. And I got better and I learned as I went. 
And it's also my biggest piece of writing advice for folks is write the story you most want to read. Because those first three books that I wrote were very much what I thought I should be writing coming from the MFA program and being a poet. And I thought, oh, I'm going to write this very like literary character driven novel, but nothing really happened. Nothing exciting happened. And it was books that I was writing for other people. And then when I sat down to write book number four, which became Promise Not to Tell, I asked myself, what's the story I most want to read? So that's the question that everyone should ask themselves in the beginning is what do you most want to read? What book do you most want to read that isn't out there in the world? And then sit down and write that book. And my answer was a ghost story. So I sat down and I wrote my ghost story and it became Promise Not to Tell. And and it, we, my agent and I call it the little book that can. <laughs> you know, I, I thought just friends and family were going to buy it, but it kind of took off and opened so many doors. And I'm just so grateful. And I'm well, here. And that's excellent yeah. advice. That is absolutely excellent advice You uh, because you have to love what you're doing. Oh, and then absolutely. you find the agent and the editor who love what you're doing. And then if you can do that, you're going to find the readers. They're, go they're going to come. And not every reader loves every book. And, I, and we all know this because, okay. um, you know, I, I actually wrote a couple supernatural thrillers. They actually nearly killed my career, but I love doing it. It was a good learning curve for me, but my mom didn't really like them. She said, oh, I like your other books better. You know, she's very honest. My mom is very blunt. You know, I, I, you know, I kind of like your other books better. Are you going to write more of those? I said, yes, mom, because I nearly killed my career doing this. So I, I'm definitely going back to the police procedurals. Um, but, if, but you do have to write what you love. And I do, and I do. And do otherwise like why do why do what we do if we're just sitting in front of the desk day after day slogging away at something you're not loving then what's the what's what's the fun in that allison there's no, no fun there i come no to fun. the desk every day and write because it's it's still magic i'm still tapping into that magic i felt in the third grade where it was like i was creating this world and anything could happen next and i don't know what's going to happen next when i sit down and that's why i do it and i love it no and you sold your you sold your fourth book. And I think that's also important for aspiring writers to know that very, very rarely is the first, first book going to sell. I sold my fifth. You know, I had to write four books that yeah. did not do anything. And yeah. then it was the fifth book that just all of a sudden it clicked. And I kind of knew. Did you kind of know that fourth book was kind of the it book that I did. I did. Although my agent at the time, I did have an agent at that point, And my agent at the time dumped me over that book. She read it and she said, you know, I haven't had any luck selling these earlier books. And this book has a ghost in it and I don't do ghosts. So it's best uh. if we part company. Um, so I was pretty devastated because I, I felt in my heart that this was the book that was going to do it. This was the book I was most excited about. And then to have her say, no, that's it. And she had been sort of my you know, my guiding light and my hope, like, oh, you know, she, I have this agent in New York who believes in me and she's sending my stuff out. And, but she read this book and she thinks that she can't really do anything with it. Oh boy. And so I felt very sorry for myself and I drank a lot of tequila. And <laughs> then finally I realized, and I thought about quitting. I really did. I was like, God, this is it. And my career is over. It's just begun and it's over. Hasn't even started really. And then I realized, this book is good. I'm excited about this book. And am I going to stop writing? No, I've been writing since third grade. I'm going to keep writing. And if I'm going to keep writing, I want to be able to share it with the world. And I really think that there are people who might like this book as much as I do. So I put away the tequila and I kind of dusted off the manuscript and I, I revised it as best I could. And I started resubmitting to agents. So 
Yeah, you hear these stories about people who, you know, they write their first book and it's a huge success. And those people, it's, it's rare, right? It's more like you and I. It's the, the stories about how people actually get published are a lot more. I feel like our stories are a lot more common. The fourth book, the fifth yeah. book. And lots yeah, of well, Sue Grafton even said she sold her fifth book. A lot of authors, Nora Roberts didn't sell her first book. So, you know, you have a lot of successful authors that it took them a few books to find their voice. That's why I say you have to find your voice and find, and it's not even so much the genre. It's the the rhythm and the the way you're telling the story. And then all of a sudden it's, it's going to hit and you realize it. Yeah, so, so now- your most recent book is, I, I'm trying to hold it up. It's not going to look very pretty here. It's My Darling Girl. And what book number is this? Oh, there you go. That, this is book so number better. 12. Ooh. I know. So I am nowhere going to be lucky 13. I feel like one day I need to interview you about how you're so prolific. Because what number are you at? Uh, I think number 40 came out this year. <laughs> so I think we're at, or was that 45? Maybe wow. it was, I can't remember now. I have to count every once in a while. I have to count them up again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so impressed. I think that's amazing. I, I can't believe that I'm on book number 12, but then I sit down and talk with you and I'm like, how does she do it? Oh my gosh. You're putting me to shame. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, well, you know, you have to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so now my darling girl came out in early October and, um, I, I did, I did have an arc and I started reading it, but then I asked, um, I do, a, I walk every morning because I live in Arizona and that's when you have to walk. Although now it's cold. So I'm walking mm -hmm. in, it's freezing. I have to put on a jacket because yeah. <laughs> we live in a desert. So, it's, you know, that way here in Florida now too. It's <laughs> yeah. So it's like, ah, um, so I, uh, I started listening to audiobooks and I said, you know what? I, I, it takes me a long time to get through a physical book now because I spend so much time writing at the computer. So your publicist was kind enough to send me the audiobook and I listened to it and it was Hill, wasn't it Hillary Hubert that yeah. narrated? I don't know if you know. Um, she's fabulous. Whoever narrated your book, she just was fabulous. And then what I ended up doing was reading the last third of the book in in bed at night to finish it the same night was when there's a certain point. And really, it's actually the midpoint of the book. I mean, the whole book is building and building and building. You really want to know what happens. And then all of a sudden, around the midpoint of the book, there's like a switch and you're like, going, oh my God, I got to finish the book. Well, I can't like walk indefinitely and I can't sit around and listen to audiobooks. So I had to finish it that <laughs> night in bed. So I was really glad that I also had PR so I could do that. I was very spoiled. Um, so why don't you give just kind of... Um, I'm very bad at summarizing my own books and I'm even worse summarizing other people's books. What's sure. you know, the premise, the log line for my sure. darling girl. Um, so Alice, it's about this. It's the story of Allison and she is a successful children's book author who finds her life kind of turned upside down when she learns that her estranged mother has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it is her mother's dying wish to come and be with Allison and her family when she's in her last days to try to make peace. And Allison, in the process of her mother being there, starts to wonder if this woman is really her mother at all, or if she actually might be possessed by a demon that now has its sights set on Allison's, Allison and her family. So, yeah. It was. And it's set um, at Christmas time, so fa la la. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Christmas story. It's sort of a combination of Halloween story. Christmas story. 
Was, I just um, um, I did a really fun event last night with Lisa Ungar, who has a new book called Christmas Presents. So we we did an event talking about the dark side of Christmas, which was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Lisa. I mean, Lisa's like one of the nicest people on the planet, I and then her, she writes her stories wonderfully creepy stuff. I love it. <laughs> I know. Me too. Um, so. Uh, oh, say, sorry. So I was like, I was thinking about her new cover. Because um, when you mentioned the Christmas presents, I said that that was such a great cover and also the double entendre with the title. But um, okay, so in the story, um, one of the things that, and it, this, this is not a spoiler because it it's mentioned, I think, in the very first chapter or the prologue, um, Allison was abused by her mother. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you're wondering, okay, her mother would like was carving into her back and making her be silent. And so it was, it was real, you know, child abuse. And yet she and her brother obviously stayed, never told anybody about it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a very um, compelling storyline. I think very realistic for kids, for children that don't, don't want to talk about it. They actually lie about it no my mm-hmm. mother doesn't abuse me no i i you know i did it myself or somebody else did it or i wanted it or whatever it happens to be it was a very very compelling and very realistic kind of segue into the story so that when you learn that at the very very beginning of the book again no spoilers i don't want to get spoilers so when she does agree to let her mother live there you're like going why i'm more like her brother ben it's like no you know i moved all the way i mean didn't he move like to california he like moved all the way across he did he the moved country to get away from her and he said hell no i'm not having anything to do with this woman anymore she is a monster but allison yeah. i think had some good she held on to the good memories and she she had a lot of horrible memories and she definitely realizes that she suffered a traumatic childhood but some little piece of her has always wished that things were different and that she had some kind of relationship with her mother. And she she tells herself that she tries to focus on the positive, but yet she's pretty much shut her mom out of her life, right? Like, and she doesn't want her mother to have too much interaction with her own girls. And she's kind of kept her defenses up. And she, in a lot of ways, hasn't really been willing to truly look back at her own past. And of course, she's gonna have to do that to figure out what's going on now. And if she has any hope of, of solving the current situation she's in. She really needs to think about her childhood and kind of dive back into it for the first time. And one of the things I wanted to play within the book was the whole like possession versus mental illness thing. Um, You know, is, I think it's easier to blame a demon possession rather than to say, oh, it was actually my mother, someone I loved and someone who supposedly loved me doing these terrible things to me. Wouldn't it be easier to think, oh, that wasn't really her? She had a demon inside her making her do these things. Um, and there's actually a point in the book when when Allison is talking with her best friend, Penny, who lives next door and who's conveniently a therapist. And Penny, and she's <laughs> confessing this to Penny and saying, you know, I think I've got all this evidence and I think my mother might really be possessed by a demon. And Penny's like, oh, you poor dear. <laughs> you know, of course, not. this is your, like, you've gone, you've undergone a lot of trauma and this is your way of making sense of what's happened to you. Well, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book was the family structure. Um, and Allison and her husband, Mark, um, and I, 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 
so I'm trying to chew. I, I don't want to give anything away, but what I really loved was their family dynamic. He is a really great guy. He is very supportive. He's very, um, you know, kind of a, I hate to use the whole alpha beta thing, but he's kind of a strong beta. He's very intelligent. He's a college professor. He, um, you know, they're, he likes the family structure. He likes having his two daughters and she kind of almost feels like, at least at the, at the beginning, like, am I doing everything right? I mean, she wants to be a mom and she, I love her relationship with each of her daughters, but she's constantly questioning herself is, am I doing this right? Am yeah. I, am I am a good mother? Am, or yeah. am I going to be more like a mother? And I think that's, you're a mom and yeah. I'm a mom. So I think we all, am I good enough mother? Am I better than my own parents? Yeah. Um, and I, I love that dynamic yeah. between and I think if you come them. from a place of not knowing like what a good mother is like I came from a place of not knowing what a good mother is my mother struggled with alcoholism and mental illness and when I chose to be a mother and had my daughter my daughter's entire childhood she's 19 now and I'm still wondering is this crazy mommy switch gonna flip and I'm gonna turn <laughs> out being more like my mom and the, the whole time I'm questioning like is am I being a good mom and I, you know, I hear that from people even who are raised by really great nurturing mothers. They're, you're constantly questioning and wondering, am I being a good mother? What is a good mother? Am I being the best parent I can be to this child? Um, but yeah. And I, had, made, I had a great mom and I, I do the same thing. I'm like going, uh, um, am I doing everything right? You know, yeah. I mean, I figured, I always tell my kids, I said, well, nobody's in prison. So I guess, the, I guess I did okay. Perfect. Nobody's in prison and no one's a drug addict. So I yeah. think, okay. That's good. <laughs> I, I, I did that. Yeah. And I totally think that the, 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 you know, the fact that we check in with ourselves and ask that question a lot is, is a sign that we're being good parents. <laughs> like, I, and I really liked it because it made her feel, I think I felt closer to her as a character, even, even at parts where I was wondering if she might be an unreliable narrator and stuff. I don't necessarily think she is, but um, that's obviously going to be a debate for people like in a book club that have already read the book, then they can discuss mm -hmm. that. Um, I liked that because of those kind of questions, I could feel closer to her as a, a mother and that whole family. I really, really wanted them to get through this. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I really, really wanted them to get through this trauma and these questions and this suspense. Um, and I know we only have a couple more minutes, but I just wanted to say, you know, one of the things when you said you had studied poetry, it makes sense. Your writing is very, um, very smooth, very descriptive, very fluid. And you, you actually describe things using minimal words that evoke very strong feelings, which I think is anybody who wants to learn how to do that, I would say, read your books. I would, you know, you, I think there are writers that I read that I, I always learn something from. And um, I think that people that really need to learn how to describe in a very clear and evocative way definitely should pick up your book because they're not going to get a better lesson. Um, you can't like do workshops on it. I mean, like I, I don't, I'm a, I learn by doing. So reading, it's like going, oh, wow, I could never do that. But that is so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, reading so as a writer always a different thing you know like you're, you read a great book and you're like oh how did they do that and you're kind of trying to take it apart and seeing what you can learn from it to incorporate into your own stuff yeah um so what authors have you 
I guess, look to for inspiration, either as a child or as in college or even now? Oh, gosh. Um, probably my all-time favorite is Shirley Jackson. And she's someone whose books I go back to again and again. And she does atmosphere and sort of this building of dread better than anyone I know almost. I absolutely love it. And I, you know, I, everyone knows Hill House, Haunting of Hill House, of course, but We Have Always Lived in the Castle is like one of my all-time favorite books. And I, I read it quite a lot. Um, and her short fiction is quite, is really stunning too. Um, yeah, I read a lot of stuff. I read, I just finished Lisa Unger's Christmas Presents. Loved that, love her. Always love a good creepy twist from her. Um, I read a lot of horror. When I was working on this, I actually went back and reread a lot of like 70s horror, <laughs> you know? I read um, The Omen and Rosemary's Baby and, and all that good stuff. And that was very fun. Um, yeah, um, those, are, those are some of the things. And I do, I turn back to, when I'm stuck in both my reading and my writing, I turn back to reading poetry. And I miss writing poetry. I, I find that I can't really, I've sort of lost the poet voice. It's coming out in other ways. Every time I have an idea for a poem, or I sit down and try to write a poem, it becomes the beginning of another novel. Um, <laughs> but I love revisiting poetry. And I, I have, of course, my favorite poets are sort of like the dark, you know, like I love Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath. And one of my favorite books of poetry ever is Anne Sexton's Transformations, which is sort of her take on the on the classic fairy tales we all know, and they're wonderful and dark, and I love them. Oh, oh I might have to get that for my daughter, my my New York daughter, the one. Well, you've actually I think met both uh, two of my three daughters. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and we'll be back at Thriller Fest. Are you going to be coming back this year? I am going to try. Yes, I'm not 100% committed. I've got other stuff going on, but I'm definitely going to try. I I like Thriller Fest and I enjoy going. It gives me an opportunity to visit my daughter who lives in New York. And um, it also gives me that connection to my editor and my agent that I don't get to see being in Arizona. You yeah. know, I don't get to just pop on a train and visit them. Like some of my friends that live in like Boston and stuff. Oh yeah, I went down on the train to have lunch with my agent. It's like going, yeah, I, that'd be a really expensive trip for me from Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great you can connect with your whole like publishing team and just connecting with other writers. Like you and I get to hang out when we go there and sit down and, you know, I want to sit down and have a beer and figure out how you do what you do, how you're so prolific. <laughs> oh, absolutely. If you're there, then you have to email me and we will definitely make that, make the time to sit down because usually it's more of a formal event and we don't get yeah. that time, the one-on-one. -on -one, no, is... We need to carve some time out for just some Allison and Jennifer beer time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now um, my darling girl here is available um, probably wherever books are sold. And what is your next project? Can you share anything about it? Oh, I'm finishing up a book and I don't want to say too much. It's kind of incorporating my love of all things folk horror. Let's say that. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Okay. And that will be out next year, I'm assuming. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> year after. I'm, I'm kind of just finishing up a rough draft now. I'm a little behind. We moved from, from Vermont to Florida and that kind of threw me off completely and I'm I'm a little behind where I should be, but from the very cold to the very warm, <laughs> the very, the very warm. The, hey, I can, I can completely relate. I had a wedding in 2020 
what year is it? 2023, at a wedding in 2021, 2022, a grandchild born in 2023, and my son graduated from college. So this has been a really, really, really wild, uh, very, very, very busy year. So I can absolutely relate. And yeah. then my son just got a job and is moving to Texas next oh, month um, for a new job. So, but I'm glad because he graduated from college. He got a job. I'm like, yay, that's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah. And it's a period of time. We, we packed up our house. We sold our house in Vermont, bought a house in Florida, moved to Florida and moved our daughter into college too, all in the same like couple months. And it was, it was a chaotic time. I'm still oh, really, <laughs> I, so I can relate. I can yeah. definitely relate. So, um, well, whenever it comes out, what is your website? So people can find out more about the future books. Yeah. It's www.jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R hyphen McMahon, M-C-M-A-H-O-N.com. Awesome. And do you have an excerpt of My Darling Girl there on your website? I do have an excerpt on the website. Yes. Yes, indeed. Awesome. So definitely check out jennifermcmahon.com, jennifer-mcmahon.com and check out the excerpts. All of the buy links will be there. And um, I think that if you like I, I'm sure a lot of people compare you to Stephen King and that's probably a bad comparison because he's definitely more gory than you are. This is not a gory horror suspense. This is definitely a suspense thriller that focuses on the emotions and the, and questions. And it's, it, it's a buildup of suspense, but there's, there's not a lot of blood and gore in it. It's just scary. It's a really good classic um, I don't even really like to call it horror, even though it does have horror elements. I think it's more of the suspense horror, you know, with leaning definitely more on the suspense side. Um, definitely worth the read. And so if you like that kind of stuff and you want to have like a little creepy, if all the little upbeat Christmas music is getting to you, then just pick up this book. And I guarantee you that once, once you start, you will not be able to put it down. And if you like audiobooks, which is what I listen to, the narrator is absolutely amazing. and really does Allison's voice very, very well. So I, I was really, really happy with that. So thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, authors on the air. Um, and you can go to Jennifer's website. You can check out my website and hope to see you again with our next interview. Thank you so much, Allison. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Thank you.